0: You know, there are times in life when trusting God can be a major challenge. Trusting God in the midst of suffering and sorrow. Trusting God when we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. Trusting God in a situation when it seems that all reason for hope is gone. There are times when trusting God can be a major challenge. Uh, This account of the raising of Lazarus, it's found in John chapter 11. It's been called the high watermark in the miracles of Jesus, but it includes a really odd detail over which Bible readers have long puzzled. And as a matter of fact, as I was reading this text tonight, um, I don't know if it was my imagination or not, but just for a moment, for some of you, it seemed like you were going, huh, when I came to this point. It's, It's where John writes, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, so that means because he loved them, right? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days. Does that strike you as odd? The question is, why would Jesus' love for his friends lead him to stay where he was for two days rather than race to their side to be with them? Why did he let Lazarus die? Why did he allow his sisters to go through the anguish of uh, grief and sorrow? Now I would add to those questions this one. How how does this story address our experience of of suffering and sorrow and death? What does it have to say to us when we go through tough times, when we find it challenging to, to trust God? This week we're continuing our message series called Selfies on the Savior in which we have been exploring Jesus seven great I am sayings in the Gospel of John. And tonight we're turning our attention to John 11:25 where Jesus announces I am the resurrection and the life. Now one of the really fascinating features of John chapter 11 and as always I've you know kind of pulled out uh, different verses from uh, John chapter 11 to kind of hit some of the highlights there. I'd really encourage you to read all of John 11 this weekend if you have a chance. But In my judgment, one of the really fascinating features of John 11 is this repeated use of the word love applied to Jesus. When Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, they say lord the one you love is sick they don't say lazarus they say lord the one you love is sick a few verses later john writes now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus in john 11:35 we read jesus wept it is the single shortest verse in the bible It's also one of the most important and most powerful. But after we read those words, Jesus wept. The next verse goes on to say, of those who were present, see how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. The love of Jesus for Mary and Martha and Lazarus just permeates. John only had to say it once but it permeates this passage. There's a second really fascinating feature found in John 11, and that is the statement, first by Martha in 1121, and then later by her sister Mary in 1132, identical verses uh, practically. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And both sisters are are confident that had Jesus been present, he could have cured Lazarus. He could have spared him from death. And while it isn't completely clear, while it isn't absolutely uh, clear from the passage, it's hard not to conclude this, that along with expressing their faith in Jesus' ability to heal their brother, don't you think they're sort of implying disappointment that he hadn't done so? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If that's true, they weren't the first, nor um, are they the last to feel disappointment with God. Um Number of years ago, Philip Yancey, great Christian author, wrote a book called "Disappointment with God." His publisher didn't want the, didn't want him to um, call the book "Disappointment with God" because it wasn't positive enough. Um, but it actually went on to become uh, one of his best-selling books because it tapped into something that so many people seem to feel. And I trust you, Lord, but. Gosh, why didn't you come through here? The theological heart of John chapter 11 is found in verses 21 through, through 27. Um, Lord Martha said to Jesus, this is after, um, well, anyway, Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, that's a common Jewish belief at this time. At the last day, when the Messiah came, all the dead would would rise. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. And the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, and um, excuse me, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world now while Martha is as you know I suggested earlier she's probably disappointed with Jesus her words but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask signal that she still has faith in Jesus is not an interesting combination disappointed with Jesus and has faith in Jesus And I think that's kind of a a reality that a lot of Christians can relate to. You know, people who had hoped and who had prayed for something really important that they believed was God's will that God didn't grant in the way that they had hoped for. And they're disappointed, and, and maybe they are deeply disappointed, but they don't give up on God. Instead, uh, what they do is change their expectations, sort of recalibrate their hope. And that seems to be what Martha does. When when Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again, Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She has has pretty much resigned herself to her brother's death. It's happened, and time moves on, and we can't get him back her, so she has hope but now her hope is postponed it's postponed to a future time when there would be this general resurrection now i'm just going to press the pause button here before i move into the rest of the message because i want to just summarize what um what we've seen so far we noted two really interesting emphases in john 11 number one the first one is in jesus love Jesus' love for Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And the second is Mary and Martha's deep conviction that if only Jesus had been present, Lazarus would not have died. I want you to, to think about those two things, Jesus' present and Jesus' love. Because both of those things point to a source of hope that Mary and Martha and we can draw on when we find ourselves in the midst of sorrow or grief or confusion in the face of death or something else that we don't understand. And what, what is the source of our hope? It's Jesus' love and Jesus' presence. And let me put that another way. We find hope in the unsurpassable person of Jesus the unsurpassable person of Jesus. Mary and Martha know that Jesus loves them. They know that Jesus loves their brother. They also know that when Jesus is with them, and we know this too, we know when we sense Jesus' presence with us, that there is always love and there is healing and there is a reason for hope. Just by being in the presence of Jesus, just knowing that he is with us. And this is part of the reason that these seven great I am sayings of Jesus are so important. They point us to the irreplaceable part that Jesus has to play in the plan of God. He is not replaceable. You can't have somebody else fill in for him. He is the bread of life who feeds our spiritual hunger. He is the light of the world who shines on us and who shows the way to everyone who is lost in darkness. He, Jesus, is the door, the entryway into that place of blessing that we all long for and which God has created us to enjoy. He is the good shepherd who knows and who cares for and who lays down his life for his sheep. And he is the resurrection and the life for those who find themselves in sorrow-filled or hopeless situations. Uh, I want you to understand what I'm saying. Jesus himself is that. Jesus himself is the bread, the light, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, and the life. There is no Christianity without him. And as a matter of fact, Jesus is what makes Christianity unique among all the great world religions. I want you to think about this for a second. If you could keep the teachings, but remove the person of Gautama Buddha from Buddhism, you would still have Buddhism. You would still have the Four Noble Truths. You would still have the Noble Eightfold Path. All of that stuff would still exist. It doesn't depend on Buddha. The origins of Hinduism, you know, out of which Buddhism grew, are, are completely lost to human history. We have no idea who founded Hinduism, where it came from, but it doesn't matter because its basic teachings and tenets transcend and can exist apart from its human founder or founders. Christianity is completely different. And I'll tell you why. Because it stands... Or falls on the person of Jesus. You can't have Christianity without him. And this is why the Apostle Paul, in a place like 2 Timothy 1:12, doesn't say, I know what, what I believe. What's he say? I know whom I have believed. You know, Christ himself is Christianity. We find hope in him, in him, in the unsurpassable person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha answers, I know he will rise again, the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And when he says that, he reminds us that our hope is not in the doctrine Our hope is not in a a set of creeds. Our hope is in a person, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Christ himself is Christianity. Now, notice what Jesus says next. I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So not only do we find hope in the unsurpassable person of Jesus, but we also find hope in this unsurpassable promise of Jesus. And the promise is, the one who believes in me will live. Even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It's not that by doing a bunch of stuff. It's not by earning God's favor. It's not through our works, lest anyone should boast. It is by believing in Jesus. And it's here again, I think, that, that we might, might begin to find an answer to that question that, that I started this message with. Why would Jesus' love for his friends lead him to wait two days before traveling to Lazarus? In my judgment, Jesus wanted Jesus wanted Mary and Martha and Lazarus because he loved them so much, he wanted them to be the first to experience the truth that Jesus can work wonders. Jesus can work miracles in what to our minds are completely hopeless situations. You know, somebody said where there's life, there's hope, right? You've heard that one before. Um, And what that means is pretty easy to cure. It's fairly easy to cure a sick person. It's really hard to cure a dead one. That's why where there's life, there's hope. See, Jesus can do what is humanly impossible. You know that, don't you? Jesus can do what is humanly impossible, but the only way he could demonstrate that was by allowing his friends to go through a completely hopeless situation. And I think there's a really important message here for us. You know, a, a lot of us. I, you know, I would hate to guess. I, I wish somebody would do a survey on this, but hate to guess how many of us uh, uh, act as if, believe, um, appropriate the Bible as if our faith were, were a tool that's meant to help us become better people and to live a better life. And I'm not, I'm not saying that. It can't help us be better people and live a better life. You know, we know we need need improvement for sure. But you know what? That's not what the gospel is. See, when, when we imagine, we know we need some improvement, we look to God to help us, you know, fix ourselves up, you know, work on the marriage... help us get out of debt, work through some problems. See, the problem is that's not Christianity. That's what somebody has called, I love this, uh, this title, moralistic therapeutic deism. You know, it, it, God's in there someplace, but really it's moralistic and it's therapeutic. It's like we can fix ourselves. It's self-improvement project. We're not going to understand Christianity until we understand that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. If you don't get anything else out of today's message, that's the thing I want you to get. He didn't come to make bad people good or good people better. He came to make dead people live. Paul puts it like this, but God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, our trespasses. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. According to scripture, we will not understand why Jesus came until we understand that we are dead people walking. And what dead people need isn't self-improvement. Dead people are incapable of (laughs) self-improvement. You know, sometimes the first step of our healing, sometimes the the very first step of our transformation, sometimes the very first step of seeing a radical change in our lives, seeing a miracle in our lives, is when we finally will recognize and admit to ourselves the hopelessness of our situation from a human point of view. And that's one of the things that we don't like to do. Because what we like to do is fix stuff. What we like to do is improve things. It's really hard uh, for us to say, "Man, I'm I'm dead. I've got nothing here." But as long as we believe that that we are just, you know, a little sick, or you know, just. Um, we're just a little down or a little this or a little that, as long as we believe that our marriage is just a little this or that, we will be tempted to imagine that just trying some self-improvement technique or reading some self-improvement book or attending some self-improvement seminar is going to save us. Let me repeat, dead people don't need and are incapable of self-improvement. What we need is Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And sometimes we, we just need to say, you know, look at our situation and say, um, I am dead apart from Jesus. This marriage is not going to survive apart from Jesus. My life will never change apart from Jesus, we need to take that first step and say, I am dead in my trespasses. I need you, Jesus. My marriage doesn't need to be improved. It needs to be raised from the dead in the power of God. Which is something only you can do, Jesus. So that's what I mean when I say that we find hope in the unsurpassable promise of Jesus, who says, the one who believes in me, in his unsurpassable person, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, Jesus then asks Mary a question right after he says that. He says, do you believe this? And my question tonight um, for you is this. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? The one who believes in me, Jesus says, will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I hope you believe that because Jesus has the power to change your life by giving, giving you the new life that only he can give. And that's why the last thing I want to say is that we find hope in the unsurpassable power of Jesus. It's not just his person and it's not just his promise. It is his power. The actual raising of Lazarus, it um, is recorded in John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. And I want you to think of this for a second. Um, if you were, had been present at the raising of Lazarus and somebody had asked you, what was it like there? Would you have written two sentences? Because that's what John does. Two sentences. Two sentences. That's the most amazing feature of this story is its brevity and its unadorned simplicity. And you know what's really interesting? Compare this, what John does here, with some of those bogus legends from the distant past, those phony legends from the ancient past where they were long and they were filled with all sorts of supernatural embellishments. John... Just says, Jesus shows up. He says, roll away the stone. He offers a prayer. He says in the prayer that's for everybody else's benefit that I'm praying because I want them to know what's happening here. And then he calls out in a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's it. That's the whole story. Now, that story didn't have to be embellished. And it didn't have to be embellished because uh, some people who were present when it happened were still alive when John wrote it down. And really, that's all that happened. Jesus commanded him to come forward And he did. And John says the miracle caused many to believe while strengthening the resolve of the Jewish leaders to put Jesus to death. It's interesting, by the way, that not only did they decide they wanted to put Jesus to death, but they decided they wanted to put Lazarus to death. Poor guy, he's dead, Jesus raises him, and now the Jewish leadership is after him because they don't want him walking around as a living kind of testimony to the power and person of Jesus. So some closing comments, first thing, and I love this. Somebody's pointed out how important it was that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. You know why that was so important? Because if he had just said, come out, all of the dead would have raised. Isn't that cool? Never thought of that before, but yeah. Second, before he raised Lazarus, uh, John records, as I said, it, it's the shortest uh, verse in the Bible, both the Greek Bible and the English Bible, John eleven thirty-five, 35, that Jesus wept. Um, Some people have said that um, when Jesus wept that his crying was a sign of his humanity. As I read this story, um, for me, I would argue that they're actually a sign of his divinity. Jesus is, is deeply moved as god remember he's god with us it's really important that that we we see yeah he's he's perfectly you know human perfectly divine he, he weeps as both God and man, but don't leave out the part he weeps as God because it reminds us that when we go through times of suffering and grief and sorrow, we are never alone. Because God grieves with us. Because God knows better than we know ourselves the damage and destruction caused by sin and death. But God also offers us hope in the unsurpassable person of Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. He offers us hope in the unsurpassable promise of Jesus that the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You know, like like, um, Martha and Mary, we will go through times of suffering and sorrow as we lose loved ones to death. But we do not grieve as others who have no hope because we know that we have not lost them as if they are misplaced forever but we are just separated from them for a season. Because the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And we are saved by the unsurpassable power of Jesus. Unsurpassable power of Jesus, who came not just to make bad people good but to make dead people live that's impossible except for God do you believe this thanks be to God